0: You're listening to Mr. Open Banking, the only podcast dedicated to exploring the open banking movement. Whether you're a financial expert, banking executive, or everyday consumer, open banking affects everyone and will change the way we interact with our money. I'm A.L. Savan, your host. This episode is brought to you by Radium, powering the world's most trusted data-sharing ecosystems. What makes something valuable? Is it strictly utility, like a can opener? Is it aesthetics, like a fine work of art? Is it rarity, like that old comic book? Or is it mostly emotional, that sense of fulfillment, of belonging? When considering these questions, most people visualize a physical object. But in our increasingly digital lives, some of the things we own or use or want don't even exist in the real world. The music we listen to, the movies we watch, the books we read, none of them have a physical form. In the digital world, you still have things, digital things, often called digital assets, You can own these things just like you own a can opener or a comic book, but digital things can be bought and sold and traded and tracked much more easily and much more accurately than any physical things, which in turn introduces entirely new forms of value. Today's episode takes us off the beaten path to prowl around the front yard of Open Banking's oddball genius neighbor, Web3. For the uninitiated, Web3 is shorthand for the decentralized, blockchain-based internet of the future. A big part of Web3 is decentralized finance or DeFi, making cryptocurrency an essential building block. But currency is only part of the DeFi puzzle. The other part Is solving the problem of things, unique things, things that different people value in different ways. Enter non fungible tokens or NFTs. Coming on the scene around 2017, NFTs aimed to create explicit decentralized ownership of a unique digital asset. This could be a picture, a movie, a string of words. Anything digital and unique could now be owned. But in more recent years, the divide between digital and physical has been crossed. Web3 pioneers have begun to explore the benefits of pairing the digital and the physical, bringing these new forms of value into the real world. One such pioneer joins us. Bianca Lopez is a serial entrepreneur and an experienced speaker on the subjects of data, identity, fintech, and crypto. She originally cultivated her expertise as the chief identity officer of a leading biometrics company, where she immediately fell in love with identity and its catalyst power. As an economist, Bianca deeply understands the potential of technology to make our lives both more prosperous and more equitable, while also recognizing the need for regulation to ensure it is done sustainably. Bianca has supported over 40 financial institutions and eight governments to reshape their approach to technology, rethink the role of identity, and drive their innovation agendas, speaking internationally throughout the year as she helps business leaders, governments, and consumers understand the impact that data, identity, and the future of finance will have on our lives. Bianca, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: This conversation is going to be about measuring value in the digital world. So I'd like to start back in 2017, when most of the general population were just starting to hear about these new digital assets called NFTs, non-fungible tokens. They sounded cool, but on the whole, people didn't really know what to do with them. Nevertheless, they quickly started to become very important in the arts, designer goods, and sports memorabilia. Can you share your perspective on NFTs?
1: When I first saw the technology, it was about uniqueness. It was about collectible items and understanding you belonged. And when you truly look at this as a credential for access, and as an identity person, I tend to say that that's the first principle. We think of identity as a credential, not as a doorway to access. An NFT was a way of gathering some data. It was about a club. It was about a click, maybe. Not a lot of utility. What a lot of people missed was the technology behind it is really tokenization. And how you encrypt and provide access to certain information. That information could be a coupon to enter a concert. Or it could be a credential to get you medical help or food assistance. The NFT craze that we saw was a game of a lot of speculation and people understanding that there's this new currency of value, of belonging, which I guess is a human thing. What I get excited about when I think of NFTs is this is a game of data gathering and information. So when we tokenize information and allow people to have access to this, it becomes an interesting conversation around custody, value, It's a game of data gathering, and it's an evolution of what most people thought about as the picture.
0: What determines the value of a digital asset like an NFT? Is it just this game?
1: What determines the value of a thing? The beholder, the community, the means of intersection, and how easily tradable it is. Can I liquidate this thing? A few of the basic principles of economics still apply. Tokenization is just a way we digitize stuff. So if you think about tokenizing money, is you hear CBDC. Think about tokenizing assets. Before it was your membership club that only you had or a name on the door of a speakeasy bar that you went to. Maybe that became a photo in a digital wallet in a form of an NFT. So the value of that is the value of the community craze. That's why it went up and that's why it crashed. Because it was also not connected to other things of real utility. So what would determine the value of an NFT in the future is the value of the underlying asset behind it and how connected it is to services and utility. If you think of tokenization as a way of digitizing a physical world, what's the value of your house? What's the value of your car. The value of an NFT is a data representation of that thing. It's the value of that thing in the real world.
0: Would it be fair to say the value of NFTs thus far was driven largely by speculation and scarcity? But in the future, you start to see that shifting more towards utility
1: utility and connectivity. The NFT can be transferred, can be moved, can be owned because you just digitally represented something. And you found a way through encryption to make sure that that information, that identity of that thing is protected.
0: As we move into this dawn of ubiquitous digital wallets, we've often heard... That these wallets will store things like our identity, our credentials, various relationships to other forms of data like loyalty cards, as well as, of course, our currency. Indeed, these wallets could also hold NFTs. But what you're suggesting is the NFTs we store there may very well be digital representations of our physical assets. Is that right?
1: That's exactly what I'm saying and actually what I'm doing. We create a lot of data. There's a lot of data that we create every day by just being humans connected to these horrendous and also amazing things, which are our phones and our devices. And all those things live in some form or another stored. You're saying a wallet is going to be how you carry them effectively. Two years ago, I started playing with this idea of Identity for objects. Me and my co-founder, Olivier, started a company called Authentify, and we decided to go out and say, how do we build this identity layer for things, for objects? And what could we empower in the world of value and accountability? Why can't I look at my kid and say how many chairs there are in the world? Or why can't I help somebody from a natural disaster or war crime? to replace the things that they've missed because can't even keep track of these. How will I keep the world accountable? I need a way of digitally represent all the information that that thing has. So just like the identity and the credentials that are digital representation of you, we're building a wallet with the digital representations of the things that you own, you value, you cherish, you buy that builds a whole new channel of opportunities because of its intelligence.
0: When auction house Christie's sold an NFT for $69 million in 2021, it was the peak of a frenzy that seemed unstoppable. Today, up to 95% of the market may now be worthless. But that's not the point. Speculation was only one way NFTs brought value. The other was community, a sense of belonging to a like-minded group. But even more generally, they offered, in Bianca's words, a doorway to access, a whole new channel to connect services and functions which extend the value of the asset itself. In short, they offered utility. A 2023 survey from CoinGecko found that the number one reason people were buying NFTs was no longer speculative profit, but in fact, utility. The days of NFTs as quirky digital collectibles seem to be numbered, as users begin to demand more value. And a great place to add more value is in the real world. Brands as well-known and diverse as Hot Wheels, Adidas, Prada, Givenchy, McLaren, and Starbucks have all launched NFT projects which bind their physical goods to digital tokens, assigning them a digital twin. That's where Bianca and I go next. This idea of physical objects having a digital twin leads to a lot of different doors. Let's try and open some of those doors. From the side of people selling something, say retailers or product producers, does that mean that anybody who is selling physical goods is effectively minting Tokens, minting NFTs that represent those goods and depositing them into my wallet along with the physical good they're giving me?
1: Yeah, that's right. So I can give you a real world example. Authentify was able to, with the manufacturer of the World Rugby Cup Balls and the retailer, which are Gilbert, which is a legend in manufacturing. They've been around for 150 years. And Legends is the retailer who does All the goods and things like the Olympics, and clearly supporting the World Rugby Cup here. We created digital twins for the world final balls. We turned these balls into intelligent things by combining chip technology to NFTs. And every time somebody goes to the till, they tap the ball, they tap their credit card, and they come out of there with a minted NFT and the digital ball in their wallet. And in their wallet, we created a relationship where privacy is utmost important. So now the retailer or the community of World Rugby Cup can only talk to tokens owners of balls without knowing my email, my age, and only with consent. Because that's part of the amazing portion of technology behind blockchain that a lot of people seem to forget. We've created a new channel of relationships. And that's what NFTs were meant to be. A world of access is meant to do something. Not just like, cool, I have a picture and now I can go to a party. And I'm a part of a clicky club of 100 people. And this thing costs a lot of money and now celebrities are into it. And then it crashes. No, I'm part of a community because I'm part of caring about rugby. And I want to know more about other people that care about rugby.
0: This sounds similar to what the NBA did with NBA Top Shot. But you've gone a step further by binding those NFTs to a physical good, in this case, a rugby ball, correct?
1: Correct. We combine two types of technology. So we combine IoT technology, in this case, it was a particular secured EMV chip, kind of like the chips that are in your credit card. And we put those things in the ball. This is part of a bigger identity infrastructure system that creates and mints NFTs but allows companies to have services. What we've done that is the next step is we've understood that the NFT is the beginning of an identity system. And once you have identity, if you have privacy, you can enable all sorts of data-driven services from maintenance to insurance to loyalty to community.
0: How do you see the interplay between our ownership of things that are only digital Versus things that are physical, but have digital representations as well.
1: We are all buried in our phones. We exist in multiple chats and multiple platforms. There's data and pieces of us everywhere. If all those things were to be tokenized, and if all those things were to have a value, whether they're represented as an NFT or not, they're going to need a place to be held where they have basic functions, right? Transfer, hold, see the value, a wallet, just like we have for our money. The way I see these things interacting is what we've seen for years in Asia and some other markets around a super app where you're going to have a wallet of multi-custody. So a part of your assets, maybe your NFTs, the ones that are just the picture ones that we talked about, they're already tokens, they already exist in multiple crypto wallets today. And they can be traded, they can be borrowed, they can be fractionalized. This already exists today. This is just disconnected from your money assets, like your bank account wallet, mobile app. And it's also disconnected from the fact that you own a car, you own a fridge that has a warranty insurance paper somewhere, and a receipt somewhere else, and the other papers for the car, and the other value for your mother's jewelry. What I'm doing is digitizing that that's also going to live and reside in a wallet. The human is going to be able to choose this part of my physical world. I want to maybe have a shared wallet with my wife or my significant other. Or I want to leave the custody of it to my children or to my friends or to a charity. That's what programmability around tokenization enables. So the same way I believe that you should own your NFTs, I believe you should own and decide who carries your objects and their information.
0: Let's bring it back to the question of value. How does the value of a physical good change if it has a digital twin participating in these digital exchanges?
1: I think that's where we've gone different than most projects. It's not about being on the digital exchange that will change the price and creating just an avatar of your chair. It's about connecting from the supply chain to knowing how to help you maybe recycle your chair, how to help you comply with things like the right to repair legislation coming into the US or the digital product passport legislation coming into the European Union, where retailers, in order to be able to recycle more effectively are going to need to prove where things come from, how things are made, what they're made out of. So by having this digital avatar or twin, it makes the figure a little easier to picture. You're able to capture data, information, pieces of the identity of that physical thing into the NFT. And then I can connect that to all sorts of things for you.
0: You used the word pieces. Does that mean that a given physical good can be made up not of just the one digital twin, but in fact broken down into all the parts that were used to assemble it, each of which have their own digital twins?
1: Yeah. And if if we didn't lose everybody on how many digital twin how many parts of parts makes a whole part a whole. And that's what legislation for sustainability and transparency is gonna demand. That's exactly correct. One item, one particular object can be made out of lots of identities in this case, lots of pieces and NFTs. And that allows us to do things like collabs. Think about a watch that is made out of some recyclable material from a Formula One car as an example. You have an original piece of a Formula One car that now is turned into a watch. So we keep track of the fact that those are two components that were differently made, that have a different history, and a different set of identity credentials, if you can think about it that way. And that, in the future, could hold value. But where this gets really exciting, it's on enabling the circular economy and on enabling people to change their perception of value. You have communities, the average U S home has 300,000 items. We're in a recession. Do we need to produce more to create more value in the world? Or can we build an intelligent system to identify the things we already have and find a new way to find value, to harness value, building the digital Brain and operating system for this. Society, communities, creators, brands will bring on the innovation that this will enable.
0: The Web3 community actually has a name for tokens that connect the physical and the digital. The rather awkward term, digital. A fidgetal NFT combines a physical component, like a rugby ball or a chair, with a digital component, the token representing that ball or chair, often featuring some unique digital access or experience. Creating a digital twin for a physical good opens up a host of possibilities for adding value, from community building, to loyalty rewards, to product servicing. Not to mention that doing so based on an open platform like NFTs provides a built-in trading and exchange mechanism for the physical goods. Without banks, without payment rails, and in some cases, even without money. It gets better. Physical goods aren't limited to a single digital twin. They can actually be made up of a collection of smaller pieces the parts that make up the whole. Track these pieces across the supply chain and you've opened the door to a truly sustainable circular economy. The operating system that Bianca aims to build. Let's get practical. Describe to me how Having digital twins for physical assets and the parts that make up those assets helps take us towards a sustainable global economy.
1: From a regulatory perspective, I dropped the two regulations coming up with the right to repair in North America and the digital product passport in Europe. Those are legislations that are trying to bring traceability to the supply chain. They need systems, softwares like ours to enable this. That's why we're building this in an open, interoperable platform. And we appreciate that things have to have APIs and all the other good stuff from other
0: industries. And then what happens? I have tracked every stage of the supply chain. I have an NFT for every part of, say, a car or a toaster or a chair. The idea is that Now I can track the life of those parts from cradle to grave.
1: That's one of the benefits that enables you a world of transparency, tax, ability to track, connect to other things like carbon footprint tracking and other things that are related to building a more sustainable future. I hope we go beyond and we started realizing the overconsumption and overproduction and find other ways of recycling, returning, repairing, trading. Maybe I'm naive. That to me is identity. If somebody asked me the other day, like, why do you love identity so much? It's like knowing people. Identity to me is close the room and you get to know somebody and you, and you get to see all the facets and all the different data components of them. Can you make better decisions? Can you be kinder? Can you optimize differently?
0: And you see how those optimizations can be made for things as well as people.
1: Yeah, of course. You can enable a circular economy. You can enable sharing. You can enable things around stuff. One of our clients, they have 980,000 rental units of hardware things. I don't know about you, but I've bought a screwdriver, used it once when I decided to move into my apartment and become like interior decorator until I reminded myself I'm an economist. Let's just put this aside. don't think I've ever used the darn thing. So can a company evolve if we're going to ask these big manufacturers not to produce more? We're going to have to give them an alternative because yes, they also sustain families, jobs, people. So could they transform themselves? into a service economy. That's what we're enabling for them through data, through identity of things. That's what we were supposed to do with identity for people and financial inclusion, right? You identify people, so now you can say that, hey, you have the right to this. It's the same.
0: Something that struck me on your website is the portion that reads open banking, data, identity, ethics, and inclusion are all about people. You often describe yourself as being fascinated by humans. When you stress the importance of the human element, what do you mean exactly? And and how does this relate to your theory of value?
1: I've become obsessed about saying, hey, what are we doing this for? I have one life. Sometimes I feel like I've lived many, but I have one life. And when I've realized that all this technology could change my life, could make me better off financially, could inspire me, could connect me with people I never thought I would have the chance to meet, I went places I never thought I would go. I want to tell everybody: there's enough space, and there's so many problems, and we keep just talking about technology for technology's sake. I'm kind of sick of idolizing the next egotistical savior of it all. Yeah, I think that's why my consistency is there. If you start with the human, there's some non-negotiables that go into place around ethics, around boundaries. And I think the digital world needs to have those conversations a lot more clear and not in a fear narrative, but in a narrative of empowerment. So that's why I'm fascinated by humans.
0: You mentioned the egotistical savior. I love that term. It really brings into sharp relief the debate happening around this techno-libertarianism on the one hand and this digitally-fueled better society on the other. As an economist, you have no doubt wrestled with this dichotomy, the value for individuals versus the value for society. How do you see digital technologies and some of the work you're doing bridging that gap?
1: I hope I'm contributing to closing that gap and not in an egotistical way myself. The work that I'm doing, I've been working in identity systems to identify people, to allow them digital rights to get food relief. My work in the UNESCO as part of the AI and ESG Council around ethics is to, one, change the narrative around the eye of fear again. If we keep the narrative around fear and every news channel says things like, it's going to end jobs, we're going to keep the secret and the cool tech in the hands of a few. And, and as an economist, I know how that story goes. I know the game of capitalism, but I also never believed in a zero-sum game. The technologies that we're building are open. They're backed by foundations. So that's the way that we're looking out in the collective. And I'm open to talk to anybody who needs to know and wants the top secret of whatever we're doing because nobody's going to solve this alone. So I think also in my approach and how relationships or the technologies or the companies that I'm building, understanding the power of interoperability and partnership and perspective, it's the only way I can try to not fall into the path that I'm sitting here saying yuck to, right?
0: So, to close that loop, the theory would be if I make chairs, rather than have to cut down more trees to make more chairs, I can easily and digitally find unused parts for old chairs, purchase them, and build new chairs.
1: Yeah, that's one creative way. Our clients keep coming up with different ways every week. It means as a channel. What do you want to enable? that's what we're trying to do.
0: The gulf between value being generated by scarcity and speculation versus value being driven based on utility and a position in a supply chain and an environmental footprint is a wide gulf indeed. Your thoughts around how you intend to span that gulf.
1: I think by acknowledging the way that people already live and revolutionizing the way that we capture and trade the data around. So if you think about extending the lifetime of an object, you think of a new economy. You think of new ways of renting, selling, buying, pawning, sharing, and if you know the components, you know the authenticity, and if you know the history, you trust different. You can repair, you can recycle, you can upsell. For building a bank of objects. We're thinking about making your belongings bankable. We connect the things that you own to the world. And we protect the transition and the information. We enable all sorts of services and experiences. In a world of NFT and scarcity, they were trying to find a measure of value. They were trying to say that that was going to be the currency. I'm trying to say the currency is different on every object because the value is in the eyes of the beholder and the community. And if I can't tell the story of that thing, how could somebody ever value it?
0: The reason for building digital infrastructure based on open standards, whether open banking or Web3, is to raise all boats. Both movements seek to move beyond zero-sum thinking, to generate value to the individual while also generating value for society. NFTs may well fit that bill. By providing a common, interoperable infrastructure for the tracking of things, NFTs offer us an opportunity to take an inventory of our ailing physical world. By tracking our collective things in a transparent, decentralized way, we can begin to understand what we already have, get a better idea of what we will need, and find ways to meet those needs as efficiently as possible, without sacrificing individual ownership or privacy. It begins by understanding that things have an identity. In the same way that sets of data taken together make up our personal identity, things and their parts have data about them too. Armed with that data, we can begin to build a truly sustainable economy. One that measures impact and value much more accurately than the one we have today. Let's project into the future. This works. All of the products that we consume are produced with the parts of older products. What does that future look like to you? And what does that mean for the future of value?
1: Well, if you believe in tokenization and you know some basic principles around treasury, you would say by tokenizing assets, you can untrap liquidity. That's why BlackRock, as an example, is tokenizing their balance sheet, why financial systems are tokenizing assets. If you think the same is true for the current value in your things, that you can upcycle, recycle, resell, you can extend and get more out of the life cycle of that thing that you invested in. Some might be experiences, some might be financial rewards. I believe in a future where we've learned how to trade the things we value and the future where things are more accountable and transparent. Today, there's a lot of just missed information everywhere. If any piece of the technology can provide information around the things around us, I think there's a societal value that I hope to see.
0: The vision you describe for a globally sustainable economy where value is tracked across the supply chain throughout the life of products and their pieces How optimistic are you that is possible?
1: I've spent a bunch of my money and two years of my life building this thing. (laughs) Let's say optimistic. I guess you're asking me the why now question, right? Do you really think this is going to happen? It's already happening. It's just happening in a few different channels. And a lot of it is still speculative because most people have not been building enterprise grade software. And you would have seen this in open banking. You would have seen this in the starting of open APIs. It's a perfect storm. You look at privacy legislation. You told all these big brands that data was the new oil, that they should hoard it all and have it. And then you told them that they were not allowed ever again to hold emails and talk to their clients. So you left them in some in-between stuff. But in the world of digital, they need to do something. You have all these big legislative moves to create the timing yeah, I'm optimistic. Yeah, I'm I'm an entrepreneur and I've sunk a ton of time and and passion into this, but I also know that the problem needs to be solved.
0: Implied in your mission seems to be this fundamental aim to reduce the value of things and increase the value of humans and the natural world. Is that right?
1: I think it's right to say that I believe we have to have consciousness on the value of the things we already created and that we have in the world, whether that be people or the planet. It's like an accountability responsibility conversation. And I think technology is here to enable a more connected, accessible, transparent world. We can't move past if we don't have a shared notion of the truth here. That's the power of data, right? It tells stories. My clients who are manufacturers, I think they're understanding that the world's going to change. So they're looking and saying, maybe there's a different way that production needs to look like. We talk about this through eras of first, second, third, fourth industrial revolution. In a technology revolution, what's the physical impact in the world we live in? That's the mission. It's to bring that level of awareness.
0: Where can our guests find out more about you and your work with Authentify and elsewhere?
1: Through Authentify, through my work in the UNESCO, through my work in T4 with Biometrics in Brazil. I will leave our website. They can find out on my website, biancalopez.com.
0: Bianca, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure.
1: The pleasure is all mine. Thank you, everybody, for listening and for having me. Congratulations on just the community you've built and the awareness you've brought to this industry. It's people like you that we need.
0: One of the central tenets of the Web3 movement is to counter the centralization of web two, where data monopolists and rent seekers have entrenched themselves in our digital interactions. But before there was a web two, there was a web one. It was slow and it was ugly and it was read only, but web one was decentralized. And it was that openness that let the internet change the world that's because digital technologies based on open standards particularly those built on top of decentralized networks afford us the ability to create entirely new systems of value so we've been here before and we know the potential but this time around we have a lot more data about ourselves about our things and about all the relationships in between. The good news is we have a lot more tools at our disposal as well. Web3 technologies, in particular, NFTs, provide the basis for scalable, broad tokenization of assets, whether physical or digital. All assets, from pictures of cats to rugby balls to your mother's china can live in the digital world. Once digital tokens are extended to the physical realm, we gain superpowers. All of our things become interconnected, smart, and shareable. Done right, we could reduce the cost of trade, practically eliminate fraud, accurately measure environmental impact, and enable radical levels of reuse and recycling all while opening up entirely new ways of generating value Thanks for listening to Mr. Open Banking the podcast that explores the ongoing evolution of open banking and its impact on our lives Make no mistake the rise of open banking is going to change financial services forever and we will be covering that story every step of the way This is your host, A.L. Savan. Until next time. This episode of Mr. Open Banking was made possible by Radium, powering the world's most trusted data-sharing ecosystems. To learn more, visit radium.com.